Hey everybody, we have a new Facebook page which we will update when new episodes are available. Just search for and like Movies Charles Hasn't Seen on Facebook. If you really enjoy the podcast and want to help us out, please rate and review it on iTunes. I wonder where you were going. All the drive. That's where I was going. dream about this place tell me there is no band and yet we hear a band diane camilla diane the car is waiting this is the girl get out of the car I mean, I just came here from Deep River, Ontario, and now I'm in this dream place. Someone is in trouble. Something bad is happening. Could be someone's missing, maybe. That's what I'm thinking. Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 17. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And as friends, we discover Charles enjoys movies, but other than major blockbusters from the last 15 years, he hasn't seen any. So as good friends, we decided to expose them to personal favorites and cinematic classics. And this week we watched the 2001 movie Mulholland Drive. So Charles, <laughs> tell us about Mulholland Drive. <laughs> uh, That's a funny question. Yeah. All right, yeah. well. Literally anything <laughs> you say. In order. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> scene by scene. Yeah, every bit. No, I won't go that in depth because that would take the entire podcast yes it would well (laughs) an aspiring young actress named betty arrives in los angeles i'm amazed Um, even remember her name one of her names one of her names yes she finds a another young woman in her aunt's apartment where she was going to stay who has gotten into a terrible accident and can't remember anything that's happened to her and it's revealed earlier that it was an assassination attempt that that actress had narrowly, narrowly escaped. I guess we don't know that she's an actress. I kind of assume. But well, it turns out, yes, she is. Pretty young lady. Yes. They team up to try to figure out what happened and who she is and all that. And while this is happening, you see some other scenes of <laughs> some, um, other shit some director <laughs> casting a movie and uh, a guy who remembers a dream at a diner and uh, <laughs> some guy killing some people. Well, that's the cold yeah. open is the dream. Well, the cold open is, is the, the month. Oh, is the, the assassination, assassination and the then it's the diner. Well, the real cold open is the dancing, right? Like you, which is relevant to the movie. Like yeah. You have the, da- the cuter bug. Is it? No, it totally yeah. is. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, the, what the actual like events within the narrative are her being driven along Mulholland Drive and almost killed until teenagers. Acres crash into their car. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's what happens. And then <laughs> uh, the literally, yes. 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 <laughs> Let's see. So I guess the important thing is they find the name Diane uh, Selwyn. Selwyn, yeah. Uh, and they go to investigate her apartment, but they find a dead body instead. And then they return to the aunt's apartment. Betty confesses her love for Rita. There's a steamy love scene. And then they go to some theater uh, where some stuff happens. <laughs> uh, and then randomly, like they find the key for, or they find the box for the key that Rita had that she couldn't remember what it was for, and then uh, it just kind of goes out from there. Um, <laughs> it goes to a different scene where Naomi Watts is Diane now, 
and um, <laughs> she? she had had yes. a love affair with an actress named Camilla Rose, who is the same person who played Rita, um, but it didn't work out, and she is sad about that, and then she orders Camilla's assassination. She feels bad about it and shoots herself. Yep. Along with other things happening. <laughs> that's that's my all in drive. Uh, I did my best. That was great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm assuming you've never seen a David Lynch anything. No, you've seen I Dune. I saw Dune. Yeah. You saw his worst movie. I hated Dune. Or no, his best movie. Okay. No, this is his best movie. No way. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is... This is no, this is rated as one of like the best movies of the well, post two thousands. That's part of the reason I picked it is that yeah. the BBC did that poll of critics recently of the best movie of the twenty first century. This we're one. always right. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> like this, this was the winner. Um, I feel like Mad Max would give it a run for its money now. Maybe. Yeah, I think this might have been like a year after Mad Max, so there's like a recency bias, right? Like we're remember, like they're they're looking the poll. Yeah, in the poll. Like, it was, like, 2015 yeah. or 16. Yeah. Um, so Mad Max had come out very shortly before that. Um, so you got to let the hype subside and Right, like, they don't, they're, their mind. like, people are cautious to yeah. choose a recent movie as their favorite. Sure. Um, and this one came out in 2001, so we've had many years to think about it. And let time shake out how good it really is. Right, turns out it's really good. <laughs> that's, that's the answer to that question. Uh, the other reason I picked, there's a lot of reasons I picked this movie. The only movie we've seen so far with female leads, I, I, I think that has been sorely lacking. It's sorely lacking in cinema, so it's not really fair to criticize yeah. what we're picking, but this is one yeah. of the best, and it's, it's good to see two women in important critical roles at the front of this movie. I think it very well, there are strong arguments for it being one of the best movies of the 21st century, uh, and perhaps the best. I think that it is Lynch's best movie, um, and I think that it's important to have in your cinematic diet movies that are weird and don't make sense and are super confusing and they like make you work to figure them out. And that's exactly what this movie does. I think the important thing for me watching this one was to kind of break out of expectations and assumptions that I have for right. what I should see in a movie. Because this movie really messes with all of those. Like It doesn't really fulfill anything you expect to happen. Um, yeah. yeah, like the, David Foster Wallace has written on David Lynch many times, and his most famous essay was about Lost Highway, which came out before uh, Mulholland Drive, and he talks about exactly that point, how, how Lynch doesn't really, he, he's clearly not a commercial director, but he doesn't... This is David Lynch loses his head, it, is yeah. the essay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, he, and okay. he talks about how... Yeah. So he's not—he's clearly not a commercial director, and he is also not really fitting that snugly into the art world either. Foster Wallace, like, clearly is a big Dune fan too. <laughs> he, uh, he writes he, very positively about Dune. See, wow. Right, like he acknowledges that it was a huge flop and like why things about it didn't work, but also that it's like secretly great. Right, and uh, wow. I need to read this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting essay. Yeah, I think he's, he, has, he has a few because there's. We might be talking about different essays now that you mention it, because there's one about like the production of Lost Highway. There's one called David Lynch Loses His Head, right. and it's written as he's shooting this movie. Okay. And yeah, he, so he we're goes talking about back through his filmography and talks about David Lynch as as an artist. Right. Like, capital A artist. Yeah. Gets pretty deep into, like, why he... He clearly, like, wants to like Dune a lot, but, like, why it didn't, like, work as a movie and why David Lynch like 
after since then has resisted working in the studio system yeah, or in commercial filmmaking. <clears throat> yeah, he, he yeah. talks about the same thing during this Lost Highway essay. Um, but maybe we're talking about the same thing. Then. Okay, because he was yeah. very critical of Dune there. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, mm. it might be might be something else. Or we have different reads on the same essay. Yeah, or that. Yeah. <laughs> or that. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a lot of depth to, like, DFW articles. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The other thing about this movie is that I think that Lynch, and, like, when I first saw Lynch, started watching Lynch movies, like, my instinct was to categorize him with, uh, like, Tim Burton and just, like, a guy who puts weird shit on the screen for its own sake. Yeah. Um, but he's a smart director, so he has a reason for what he's doing. And I think that... It, Unlike Tim Burton. Unlike Tim Burton. <laughs> and so I, I Well, he has a control of like substance and style that right. Tim Burton does not. lacks completely. Well, it, it, he has an interest. Like it's not just that it, it, Burton lacks it. He's not interested in it as far yeah. as I can tell. Burton has like a sort of like Tarantino control over style, but then like lacks Everything any else. control over substance or narrative or yeah. character. Yeah. And now has lost control of his style because it's gone beyond him. Yeah. Yeah, because that's your this, your whole career. Because like every like emo kid from like 1998 <laughs> to like yeah. 2013 was like I identify yeah. with yeah. Uh, the Corpse Bride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Whereas whereas Lynch, I think he actually puts weird shit on the screen, but it's for a reason. But for a reason, like you can point to basically everything in this movie and have it fit together in a coherent mm-hmm. way, both with in the micro sense and within the whole of the Although, movie itself. in interviews he's very cagey about oh he's very resistant. what this means what this means to the point where it, it's almost like he has a disdain for solving it solving it or yeah. his audience yeah which is yeah. I, I think that is partially an act because there's some pretty strong evidence for what's actually going on here and yeah. I think he just doesn't want to say yes this is what's happening I give him credit for not wanting to put out a quote-unquote definitive interpretation. Yeah. Well, the thing is that the the definitive interpretation is the last twenty minutes of this movie, right? Like yeah. that that is explaining what happened in the first two hours, right? Like I think that that is true and that is in the text. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I really agree. Okay, yeah. so I, 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 do we agree that the first two hours are a dream? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I, the last twenty minutes are her waking up from the dream. Like that—that's the the stuff that happens after they open the box is really happening, right? That's reality. No, though, because you have the imaginary characters on the floor, the, okay, mi- sure. the miniature characters. Sure. And okay, so there, there's that. And the, you the see mud things. Lady shows up again, but she's she's awake after, after her death. You see things too, right? But she's so. awake for the the bulk of it. She's actually at that party. She's actually breaking up with that other girl, right? Like I she's just, actually in this apartment. I feel like every time I yeah. think of like an <clears throat> attempt at explaining everything there's always a few scenes or a few details at least that don't seem to fit with it right well I, and i think that lynch is doing that by design yeah but i think that it's you could call it canonical in my view that the first two hours are not reality it seemed to be the explanation i found that made the most sense that was mo- yeah. the most satisfying for me I don't, I don't know if i totally agree that it's a dream it is I don't, a fantasy? I don't. Yeah, I, I think it's more along the lines of fantasy than it is a dream. Uh, th- what's the difference? But again, like literally anything you say, like <laughs> matters. <laughs> I mean, the opening shot after the jitterbug thing is yeah. a pillow, right? Like you're diving into this pillow, it cuts to black, and then it goes to the it's, screen. And there's multiple references to it being a dream in dialogue during the movie. The moment when she, the cowboy wakes in and says, "Like you have to wake up now," <laughs> after they open up the box, like there's a lot of signals that. That what's going on for these the first four hours of this movie is not reality. Mm-hmm. Is is her projecting her fantasies 
within the dream and her not being awake. Yeah, for me, it, it read more as like memory and fantasy than it, it did dream. I, I understand that there's... They seem to be very similar. A concepts. lot of signaling. They yeah. are similar concepts. Um, and I think that they, they overlap a lot too because obviously like her memories of so many things are popping up in this. Yes. To a, the first 12-hour fantasy dream world. And also there's plenty of wish fulfillment <laughs> in, in that world, right? Yeah, so my, my like read on it watching it this time around <laughs> was <laughs> the first two hours of the movie seem like an idealized fantasy of the Naomi Watts slash blonde woman at the end. Right. Diane Selwyn. Uh, Her name is Diane Selwyn. Diane? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That for it seems to this character to be an idealized version of events. Yeah. Related to arriving in Los Angeles. And her experiences in Los Angeles. Right. And then she wakes up from that fantasy to the reality of what's actually happening. Right. It's sort of like when you first arrive. Okay. This is a very LA centric movie. Yep. L- it's in LA is. It's basically a Star is Born, only with a sad ending. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is the fantasy of arriving in LA, yep. and being successful, and being yep. beautiful, yeah, and talented. Yeah. Yep. And. And and then your later disdain and reality of the truth of L.A. Yeah, like he, I mean, she shows up there with an, a, a, an apartment ready, an audition ready. Yeah, right, yeah. like built in. Uh, and she's gorgeous. Right. She has this like gorgeous girlfriend that she's running around the city with. Right, right. <laughs> she's kind of like plucked from Canadian obscurity. Right. Into. <laughs> She won a jitterbug contest, right? Right. That's what inspired her. Right. uh, Which is, I think, what that first scene Oh, I forgot that line. Yeah, because she's she's talking to the real Coco at the the dinner party, and she says, oh, I I won a jitterbug contest in Ontario or whatever. And and that inspired me to be an actress, and here I am. She's, like, adorable and Right? And so sad. And and that's what's so great about that that real Coco, the director's mother, is that she sees through her in a minute. Like, there's no... It's just that she understands exactly the path. She's like another yep. LA girl. That's not going to come. Gonna not going to get there. Up, yep. spit That's out. not going to be good enough. Yeah. Right. And then, so she wakes up to the reality of doesn't have the girlfriend that she yeah. thought. Not as talented. Not she as talented. She doesn't have the connections. She doesn't Her apartment's not as nice yep. Yep. as she thought it was. Yep. Sort of succumbs to the reality of things. Yeah, I, I think okay. that that is. So I feel like we then agree on the like general structure of like what's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that that's what's going on. I, I'm pretty convinced as that to it like is. the minutia of like dream versus fantasy. right. I, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that it is specifically a dream that she's not awake during those things, and that's what's going on in her head. And the movie mm-hmm. takes place within the Naomi Watts character head mm-hmm. for the bulk of it. But whether or not you want to frame that as dream or fantasy, I guess is. Uh, There's also like a cyclical Tarantino-esque element to time where the characters, yeah, the characters like see the dead character that happens later in the movie. Well, because she's obviously considering suicide at that point, right? Like, because if that is taking place within her head, like it's not real when they see the dead person in the apartment. Sure. Like then, because it obviously couldn't be because the dead person in the apartment is Naomi Watts. Right. Right, and she sees her dead body. Her in the future. Right, so it must be occurring within her dream class. Yeah, it's like suicidal yes. ideation. Right, and yeah. y- you see you see stuff like that all the time, where like when the woman shows up at the apartment saying that something's wrong and you don't belong here and all that. Like that's just her 
mm-hmm. consciousness trying to wake her up out of this dream, right? Like that's reality intruding on fantasy. Uh, same thing with like the, the cops, like you see the cops when they're approaching the apartment where they find the dead body and they have to like hide behind the hedge. That's again, reality just intruding on this fake world that she's constructed in her head. I think you can point to stuff like that all over in, in my reading. Uh, the other reason I like this movie a lot is that I think it has two of the best scenes ever put to film. Okay. Oh, right. Yes. Just in Go on. the history of cinema. So the two of them are the audition scene. I don't know if you recall, we saw Predator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We did see Predator. Uh, By yeah. body and ass alone. Body and ass alone. Yeah. Uh, no, I was talking about the audition scene. Uh, so the, the scene when she's auditioning with that older guy for like the soap opera or whatever it is, um, and the scene t- towards the end of the movie when they're at the concert hall um, and they have the this is all recording and the woman is singing yeah. or not singing the, the song. Teatro Silencio. Yes, that place. Silencio. And, and uh, each of those things scenes I think are just so brilliantly constructed and work on every single level of this film and inform the characters and the theme and the narrative and the drama so crisply uh, that I, I can't think of many other movies that have pulled that off, that have done something that purely in sync with the rest of the film. Um, so, I don't know, what do you guys think of those scenes? Did they hit as hard? The, I was the, definitely uh, very drawn in by the audition scene. I, I yeah. was very weirded out by the uh, Club Silencio scene. I yeah. wasn't really sure what was going on. That's kind of the mo- that like marks the turning point of like the movie becoming crazy, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was or, pretty crazy before that. It was already yeah, crazy. maybe like it really goes off the rails yeah. at that yeah. point. That's like, that's like, like she's waking up. Up until right? then, you think that a narrative is happening and that it's approaching a point where you're starting to get answers, and then it goes off the rails and you you get fewer answers. Well, you know, that, I mean, that's when you do start to get answers, right? Because well, you get answers for a different narrative yes, that for you didn't a, know you a were different about question. to get. Yeah, yep, a totally different question. Like, you, you, were ans- you were asking the wrong questions throughout this movie, and, and yeah. then they reveal, actually, this is the thing. Um, turning to that scene, though, the, the concert hall scene, what I, I think it functions so well as both a metaphor for what's going on in this movie and how this movie is a larger metaphor for film, period. Yeah. Right? Because cinema, like, the project of cinema is in many ways to make you forget you're watching a movie, right? To make you forget that you're sitting in a theater and to get you absorbed in these characters as a reality, as something that's really happening, while you know on some level that it isn't, which is exactly the Diane Selwyn experience in this movie, right? Like she is supposed to be, she is understanding that she's not a successful actress, she doesn't have this beautiful girlfriend, she doesn't have this great apartment, and while at the same time telling her this fantasy where she is in fact all of those things, where she is great, just in the same way that cinema tells us that we need to get lost in the lie of what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so when you're watching her sing that song that is gorgeous and just heartbreaking, yeah. they tell you up front, this is all a recording, there is no band, she's not really singing, this is not actually going on, and you still get wrapped up in it. Yeah. Right, like you still yeah, you see the characters crying. You see it, and you see them crying both from the beauty of the performance itself, and the knowledge that it's not real, yeah. and the knowledge that she's waking up from her dream, and that this is all going to go away. And that is the exact moment they find the key, which is I guess what could, wakes her up. 
I mean, like the guy is basically telling her directly that this isn't real, right? Yep. So it's it, kind of like that's how they that, open. It's kind of like when your your dream starts to fall apart and you start to right. This realize is and then you, that's when yeah. You this is all up. a recording. This is not. Yeah. They're not really doing any of this, and they show you what happened before that. Like they have the guy come out with a trumpet. And yeah. he's playing, and then he pulls it away, and it keeps going. So you you know it's a lie, yeah. but it still hits you, right? It still hits you really hard. And, like, that's exactly how, how cinema functions, right? Like, we go into movies knowing that none of these people are real, that these events probably didn't happen, never will happen. Like, it depicts all of these fantastical things. And we still get emotional about it. We still get wrapped up in it, and we still care, even though it's all fantasy. It's all a lie. And that's exactly what, what Diane Selwyn does throughout this movie. Like, that's the whole yeah. arc of her character. And I think you see the same thing. I'll keep talking. <laughs> I think no, I, I I agree. I just... I, I lean towards fantasy because I, I believe this, this is, like, a character that's, like, actively deluding themselves. Right. It's the yeah. But it's the fantasy that's revealed in your dream, right? Because it's not no, just... But I... I I, I disagree. I, I think it's like her actively imagining what her life is like. I, I, so the difference like, is the agency of the character yeah. in creating this. Yeah, I think story. she's like actively filling in her own storyline. Okay. Versus because the dream is kind of revealing the, the, to you what you want to happen, whereas the fantasy is you're like creating your own story. That you yeah, you're happen. you're not always like an active in participant order. in the the dream yeah. per se. Like you're more along for the ride, and I feel like. This is much more active delusion. I mean, in a sense, I think we can turn to the scene. So the movie open the diner scene. Right. Well, that's not the that's the second opening, right? Because the actual opening is the car crash. Right. But yeah. that that is pointing to a dream more than it is fantasy. Really? Oh, no, to a dream. Yes, I agree. That's, yes. that's what I was going to point out. Is that that's pointing more to a dream? Because it's the nightmare, right? It's the the nightmare that becomes reality. It's the projection of her guilt. That's how I read it. Well, really, I, I okay. So I read that scene more as like a key to like what's happening, right? Because we have this other character who's not a part of the narrative of the movie, right? Ostensibly, he does come back for like a second right. later in like a Tarantino moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in a diner. Yeah, it's in a diner, and you have this like cyclical nature to it, <laughs> right? Um, and he explains like I had this nightmare, and this mm -hmm. is what happens, right? And then that happens. Right, right. It's the exact thing that happens. But the and, reason... Oh, I'm sorry, continue. And so if we are to use that as, like, the key to the rest of the movie, uh -huh. right, then we get this other set of characters. Essentially, the same thing happens, right, where she, like, lives in this fantasy world and then is revealed to be fake and then scary and terrible. Right. Uh, I read yeah. that... Or I read that character um, <laughs> as a manifestation of her guilt because it's taking place in Winkies. Where the, she where she ordered the where she ordered the assassination of Camilla, right? Yeah, she sees this guy at the counter who she doesn't know is a stranger to her. Yeah, in it's the a same way of the event, right? As a, yeah, it remind it. She so she anchors that event or in that place to her guilt, in the same way that that guy describes seeing the therapist by the counter in the, the exact same spot where he actually was when Naomi Watts ordered the killing. Yeah. He describes this horrible thing that it that scares him. He he feels more scared about it as he gets closer to it. In the same way that as she gets closer to the actual killing, you see like that that horrifying fucking masturbation scene, right? Right? Like as she's getting closer and closer to the thing, it's it's she's feeling the terror more and more and trying to pull herself away from it. So I, I think that Winkies in the Winkies Diner and that guy in particular are her is her manifestation of. 
the, the her- terrible thing she did mm-hmm. and like being unable to confront it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's both, right? right no, David, yeah, that, David Lynch that, is doing this on yeah. purpose. I don't think that's incompatible with your reading. I, yeah. I think that they're both valid. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of the movie, right? That yeah. it's, I like it, that they call the diner Winkies. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Referencing all the sleep. <clears throat> right. Yeah, that's the, the only thing I get out of it. I don't know if Winkies is a real place. In no, but like diners, 50s diners <clears throat> are like all over L.A. Okay. I guess that LA is like very obviously very important to this movie. Like yes. this is the LA yep. experience. Like yes. she crashes on Mulholland Drive, which is like you don't really drive a lot on Mulholland Drive when you're in LA, okay. unless you go to like like these mansions up in the hills. That's like, exactly what happens. Only like one point one percent of yeah. people ever go up there. <laughs> yeah. um, so they crash at the top of Laurel Canyon. She goes down Laurel Canyon and ends up at like an apartment building at the bottom of Laurel Canyon. Before yeah. that, she ends up on Sunset Boulevard, right? Like, and they have that close-up. They close show up. the sign. They yeah. show the sign. Like, they have this close-up of Sunset Boulevard, which, it, it cinematically speaking, No, no, no. She, they crash at the top of Laurel Canyon, and at the bottom is Sunset Boulevard. Right, and she crawls down there, right, or wanders to down there. To Sunset. Right, right. Through there. Laurel Canyon. Right. Right. Okay. Oh, oh okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you meant because I don't understand LA geography. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's like a couple of canyons that kind of run through the hills. Okay. Laurel is one of them. Okay. And like, at this point, you're pretty much like a baller if you like live in Laurel Canyon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <coughs> and the hills is like where all the mansions are. Okay. Right. And then she after that, she ends up on Sunset. Yeah. Boulevard. It's sort of like the non-Beverly Hills mansions are in the hills, going, right. in like the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. And then, yeah, it crashes at Laurel Canyon, makes it down Laurel Canyon to Sunset Boulevard, ends up on Sunset Boulevard in some super swanky apartment complex yeah. that's owned by Naomi Watson. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those are the, the which is like what she imagines happening. Well, her her imagined aunt because her aunt is actually dead apparently. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. She passed away and left her some money. It's a much more tragic backstory. Yeah. Yeah. For her real self and so much more modest and just yeah. you know unassuming and ambitious. Um, but the diner culture is important to L.A. So L.A. has a lot of so in like the '60s like diner and like sort of like American graffiti kind mm-hmm. of culture is like very important to LA. So you have like the rise of the highway system, the freeway system, car culture, diners are really important to that. Like all these like fifties and sixties, like signaling that's happening. Okay. Um, and LA is like kept these like diners going. And like yeah. Similar to like New Jersey has like something very similar where sure. there's like a ton of like little diners that are, a part of that, like 50s and 60s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they're all, like, kind of very beautiful. In L.A., the, like, remaining ones are very beautifully designed because they're this, like, Jetsons architecture, which is known as Googie architecture, um, which is kind of like the 60s, like, futurist, right. like, yeah. space. The, the points like, and swoops and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The fallout aesthetic. <laughs> right. No, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's exactly what fallout's going going after. Um and so that, like, diner signaling is, like, really important. Right. Just so, like, this is L.A. Like, this is an L.A. thing happening. Yeah. Another yeah. thing that's interesting about L.A., because it's, like, such a car culture, it shuts down very early. So, like, okay. last call is, like, at midnight or one mm-hmm. or something, unless you're going to, like, clubs. Um, and then the only thing that's open are these, like, little diners. Okay, sure. And then so everybody, like, Congregates goes up. to diner, gets food, and then, like, goes home. Okay. Yeah, to, like, yeah. sober up and, like. Before Uber, you just like drive Buzz home, and like, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah one yeah. of the cabs in LA. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think that that uh, that reading makes sense within the movie uh, and within the, the role yeah. that Winkies plays in the movie. And I think, and I like the point that 
Twinkies as in 40 Winks and then she's asleep. Like yeah, and then there's these sort of like two tracks of actors, right? There's the yeah. immediately successful at LA actor and yeah. then the struggling never is going to make it actor. Right, and it's clear who is who in, right. in this story. The one thing that like I really wasn't sure about was, okay, so there's like this like shadowy cabal that right. is yeah. running everything. Right. And I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, is David Lynch anti-Semitic? Oh, <laughs> so I didn't. Okay. I, I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely didn't figure this out, but I read an interesting. Okay, I, I mean that hadn't occurred to me. But. I read an interesting <laughs> rationalization for those scenes, which I liked, where it's basically her rationalizing that she didn't get yep. the roles because there's some sort of conspiracy to keep her to out. hire a different actress for no reason other than this shady cabal wanted her, right? Which is who the other Camilla Rose is. Yeah, but the obvious read for that would be that like. The Jewish studio. Oh, well, I didn't. Re- yeah. I read it that way. I read it Charles's way. Well, it could yeah. still. Yeah, I mean, it could. That, yeah, that was the first that thing that occurred to me, and I was like, I don't know. Is it like? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that did not occur to me. Uh, I actually should have done more research for saying that, but no. I, I, I mean, because <laughs> I, I, that was my reading is that it's her finding a way to rationalize her not being successful, right? And that fits right within the rest of the movie, right? And it fits within like the arc of David Lynch, right? Yeah. Where he like. Makes, Very hostile to Hollywood. Yeah, makes Dune within the studio system. It goes horribly it. because yeah. the studio like tries to take control from right. it. Because he should he's, be making blockbusters. He's not a blockbuster director. Or they yeah. should just let him do whatever yeah. he wants, yeah. right? Because it w- it could have been like the craziest movie ever in Dune, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, <laughs> I wonder. Or of course, there's like the Jodorowsky version but right. like the David the true David Lynch version could have been really interesting yeah, and they cut it to pieces yeah, yeah. they essentially and took it away from it and cut to pieces yeah. and yeah and who knows and that's what we end up with maybe that's why yeah. I hated it so much the other the other thing that I like about your reading of that cabal thing is that yeah okay so the there's the cowboy character right and the, the cowboy guy who's said, like a threatening assassin or right? something like that right he says yeah. if you see me he's once like he's muscle if yeah. you see me once you've done good yeah. if you see me twice you've done bad yeah the first time he sees her is when, first time she sees him after that is when she's waking up yeah. right and the second time is right after the person who's Camilla in the dream yeah. kisses the real Camilla at the party yeah the the, the cowboy walks by yeah right and that is the moment that she decides to kill Camilla, right? Like, that's when she is doing something bad, right? So I think that in reference to the Cabal, the Camilla in the dream is the girl who kisses her, right? Yeah. It's the girl that drove her to the to, to murder, essentially, to, to assassination. Sure. So in that way, the, she's not someone special, right? She was her competition in love for Camilla. She's like the representation of all her resentment. Right, and uh, along with some of her guilt, but along with showing that she isn't actually any better. The only reason yeah. she's more successful is because there's this shadowy, you know, apparatus Although I'm a little curious about um, the fake Camilla kissing the real Camilla scene, because I thought it was implied that Camilla was together with the director. That's Hollywood. Well, <laughs> they, they get to fuck like, around a little bit if they want to. I don't know. It just seemed kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah, it, it seemed like the director was pretty okay with it. It made me sort of question the reality of that scene in a way because it just seemed kind of surreal. And then the cowboy shows up, you know. Yeah, well, and that confused me a bit. I don't think the cowboy's really there. I think that that is part of her fantasy world or her, you know, something or other. But I think that kiss really happened because it, 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 cause not, she's not even just the girl on the side anymore. 
she's just one of the girls on the side. Okay. Right? It makes her even less. Right? And like that really pushes her over the edge, and that's when she really snaps. I see. Right? So I, I think that that happening is critical to the, this character's arc and her conclusion, especially. It kind of ties in with, you mentioned before the audition scene, I wanted to go over that. I was curious what yeah. you thought about it. But like, it kind of fits there because like her audition goes extremely well, um, and yet she's still unsuccessful. So I think that ties in with her perception that she should be getting these jobs, but somehow isn't. No, well, she sees the everybody but the director is paying attention to her. I think that's an important detail, right? Yeah. Because the director is ultimately the decision maker. Yeah. And he, like, can't even focus on the scene. And, yeah, he's, he's dumb. He gives that weird mumbo-jumbo direction to try to sound like a director. Right. And then everybody else is super excited yeah. about it. And so it's like... Oh, why didn't I get that part? Because the director is dumb and not paying attention. Yeah. And everybody else loved me. And so, again, it goes to, like, the idealized versus the... The taking blame away from herself. I th- right. I think that's part of it. Yeah. But one of the, the direction that he gives, right before... I wrote it down right before um, there, she actually starts the scene, is don't play it for real. Don't play it for real until it gets real. Right? That's his line, which yeah. sounds like nonsense, right? Like that kind of sounds like gibberish. Yeah. But again, it's what happens in this movie, yeah. right? Like what, what th- this isn't real until it is real. And it's not what's really happening, but it's a representation of what's really happening. Yeah. And so it sounds like nonsense, like the first time you watch the movie. Um, but within the yeah. context of when you know it all, when you know what is actually going on, it is a perfectly clear direction. And I think that's another example of the reality intruding on, on the her dream. subconscious reminding her. Right. But I think it, it's also really important that we see her trying those same lines with Rita, Dream Camilla, be- or beforehand, right? And that the scene just plays as really hacky and dumb and, and that Camilla can't act, right? Like, I think that that's really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's clearly the inferior actor in that moment. And I, so I think on one level, Lynch is talking about how unimportant writing is, which is a really weird point for him to make because he writes his movies, but he's, he's saying that direction and acting are critical and can totally yeah. change the timbre of a scene, and which is exactly what happens. It also echoes, or I suppose that the, the end the concert scene echoes that scene in that it's another moment when you know it's fake, right? Like, you know, you, not only do you know that it's a movie that you're watching, it's an audition for a different movie, they're playing roles. The lines are really dumb. They established you know that, that earlier. You know she hates the dialogue. Right. You know she doesn't like it. It's You still get wrapped up in it. Right? Yep. Like, you are. St- it's still just enthralling acting in an enthralling scene. So, it, once again, it's just a, a replay of the, the, the concert scene at the end of the movie. And it's so brilliantly done. And it undercuts the audience at just the right moment uh, when they leave. And she's like, oh, this movie is never going to get made. <laughs> this is total garbage. <laughs> right? Like, it, it's so... <laughs> again, perfectly fits into the film on every single level. Um, and I, I can't think of many other movies that have pulled that off, especially twice in the same movie in totally different ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, one of the things about David Lynch, <laughs> this, this I, I guess there's more to like stand on in this movie than there are in some of his other movies. I agree. Movies. I think this is like, one of his more coherent movies. Lost Highway is just like <laughs> bewildering to watch. Yes. yes. And Even more than this one? Yeah. Like yeah. This, this is one of his more coherent movies. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. 
Or uh, even like Twin Peaks. Th this actually shares a lot in common with <laughs> Twin Peaks. Because Twin Peaks starts out as like a serialized murder investigation and then goes super off the rails. <laughs> yes. yeah. I read that this was supposed to be a TV show. Yes, they made most of it as like the pilot. Yep. And, and just really that, the squeeze cipher at the end movie. of it. The, yeah, the, the last 20 minutes are what's added on to yeah. the film. So supposedly the rest, that those last 20 minutes are supposed to be a season of TV? I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it's kind of, I, I don't know how it would fit together. If, if those two hours are supposed to be the pilot, I guess. Like, I'm not clear on that either. Um, I can't imagine watching this the first two hours of this movie and then turning it off and expecting to make any sense of it at all. Right? Yeah. Like, I think you need those last 20 minutes uh, for this to be uh, an experience, a worthwhile experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know how important it is to think of this as a former TV show or an almost TV show. Um, I'm glad it's not. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he made a movie. Tidbit. Yeah, he made a movie instead. Uh, also, I think this is an amazing performance from Naomi, Naomi Watts. Yeah, for like, sure. I, this is what put her on the map, right? It's like her first role or something like that? I'm not her first big role, maybe? super familiar with her career, but that uh, is certainly possible. Uh, yeah, totally possible, because it's 2001, <clears throat> so she's like... Not old at all. Yeah, She was King Kong in 2005. Well, there you go. There's this is the first time there. I saw her. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I saw that movie. Mm, but, yeah, She does some TV in the 90, early 90s. Um... She's in Babe Pig in the City. All right. There we go. Additional voices. <laughs> okay. All right. Solid. No, yeah. She's, so in, she's playing Diane right there. She's in a right. bunch of terrible stuff in the 90s. And then uh, is in The Ring in 2002, Mullen Drive 2001. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is ostensibly like her first like real thing. Where she makes it. Yeah. I mean, kind of ironic to be playing a character that yeah. <laughs> like tragically doesn't make it. A movie that makes you famous. There's so, that kind of cruelty <clears throat> to these roles in Hollywood. It mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of uh, La La Land a bit. I mean, there's yeah. lots of parallels between this movie and La La Land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, La La Land is obviously a much happier movie, but uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's just funny to see people who are very obviously successful actresses playing right. uh, struggling actresses on screen, right. and it's probably very insulting for the actual struggling actresses. <laughs> yes, like I know this life. Yeah. I mean, and some of them, I mean, that was their past, right? Like, plenty of them yeah. were. Yeah, they, they, they have experiences to channel on. Right. She's, I remember reading in the Wikipedia article, uh, Naomi Watts talking about how the movie seemed to very much parallel her own experiences and how she would sometimes end up driving a Mulholland Drive and, like, sobbing her heart out at how lonely she felt. Well, there you go. She may have, you clearly drew on that. No, I yeah. think, yeah, in general, there's, like, a, like, an alienation that you'll feel in L.A. Right. Just because, like, it's not a very social city due to like its car culture, sure. and so it's like easy just to be like an anonymous nobody and going from this place land to this of place. like millions and millions and millions of people and right. just like never interacting with anybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that there's there, like there's part of that in this movie too, right? Where th there's this voyeuristic feel to the way the camera moves. Like it's the this very self conscious camera that is in a first-person perspective and, like, going down a hallway and approaching a door. Like, you see sequences like that a yeah. lot. And, like, people alone, just, like, by themselves doing things. Like, you, you see that happen uh, several times throughout this movie. And it, 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 you get this sense of the audience as an intruder, right? Like, you, that you are watching something that maybe you that. shouldn't be watching, right? Like, you're, yeah. you're experiencing something that's not for you. And that, that's a violation. And it, it kind of puts, I felt it more on this viewing that you are 
put in this role of someone who isn't supposed to be there, mm-hmm. uh, which is, of course, what movies are doing all the time, right? Like they're they're putting us in in a position of someone who is not a part of what they're watching, but mm-hmm. getting a very intimate look at it. And here we're literally inside Diane Selwyn's head, right? Like it yeah. doesn't get any more intimate than that, and we have no business being there. So, you, so I'm not the only person that's had this like anti-Semitic read oh, yeah. over the characters. <laughs> it makes sense. So, yeah, I'm looking at an article right yeah. now. It's like, um, like, is there Monsters Hollywood gnome sweeping over with sweeping control over money? Perhaps anti-Semitic character caricatures run through Diane's fantasy after all, which would make sense, right? So, like in yeah. her fantasy, it's like this like Jewish cabal that's like running Hollywood that's like keeping her out of films. Right, right. As... I feel like they look more like the Italian mob. There's some of that, right? Like that, that there's, and there's a, this hint of them being violent. Right? Yeah. Right. Or at least like threatening. Which is yeah. exactly what the mob does. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's like the giant like enforcer that walks into the director's <laughs> yeah, exactly. house and punches his wife. Right. In the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the um, pool boy. The pool now. boy who is Billy Ray Cyrus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I think she she really resents the director for the whole Camilla. Oh business. yeah, he's super dope. And so she had him like get cheated on. And, yeah, like and, and his it, life fall apart. Yeah, her, like it's just fantasy. one That's one great. bad thing after another happens to that it's guy. It's also yeah. like the yeah. like the I didn't think about porn, oh, yeah. the like L.A. porn fantasy, right? Where right. the wife has like sex with like a hot pool boy. <laughs> right. And, yeah. yeah. Well, and the, <laughs> my favorite part about that scene is. He walks in on them, and like she's angry at him for, yes. like, for interrupting or yeah. something. It's like she was having a good time until you showed up, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And like I thought that was that was amusing. Um, also, his his clothing throughout the dream sequence. It's like this ill-fitting, stupid-looking suit and these suit. these pants that like make him look like a child, and he has yeah. like the dumb spiky hair. Like, but it's like nineties. Well, he has the cool. hair in the whole movie. Right. Well, but yeah, but it's like this kitschy nineties cool relative to the actual director guy who it's put together like has a suit that fits him and like not stupid hair wait who are we even talking about now the director Adam. yeah who's wearing the suit that doesn't fit though the the, the director in the, the dream like, dream yeah okay right now I don't even lost so the one, one that gets all the pink paint all over it yes yeah like that doesn't it's fit it's like baggy it's, okay it's huge I was like this is the most early 2000s looking guy ever right and the really like yeah he even has like the glasses way. that are like right. shaded but not shaded and yeah like, yeah and yeah. Com- compare him to his the reality of him he like, drives. He's like actually drives a low-level Porsche. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he drives. That. I was just gonna say that it's really important that he drives a boxer because it's yeah. like it's a wannabe rich yeah. like car. Right, that, right. Either. In the dream, that's yeah. what he's driving. Yeah. In reality, he probably has a much nicer car. <laughs> sure. But yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's just it. Like here's this guy where everything has gone right, and he's gotten exactly what he wanted. And Diane Selwyn has never gotten anything that she wanted, and everything's gone wrong for her. Right. So of course, in her fantasy dream world. It's the opposite, right? Like she's getting everything she wants, and it's like one terrible thing after another for this yeah. for this poor bastard. Yeah, this is like, damn, this is like a depressing movie because it's like <laughs> the, the main <laughs> character suicide. The main <laughs> character essentially like has imposter syndrome, but she's right. Yeah, that she is an imposter. Yeah, <laughs> which is like even more depressing. Right, <laughs> right, right, because she's bought into well, and that gets us to the um, old couple. Right, that she first in the dream meets on the plane, and then eventually invades her apartment. And in they have that like, really weird scene when she is first introduced yeah, in the movie, in which the car. really weirded me out because she arrives and it's like the most fake possible yep. acting ever. Yep. 
Yeah, I think that it's hand it like adorable Canadian couple that like takes her off the plane and yeah, well, leaves I mean, her at LAX to get into a cab. Right, because it's it's they're not just stands in, stand-ins for her own optimism and the optimism of her family, but it's specifically misplaced optimism, right? And optimism that leads to very sore disappointment and right, I, the wrong expectations. Right, right. It's it's mislaid hope. Like that's what those characters are. Yeah. So when they're, so I guess they're taunting her at the end. Right. It's, it's, that's exactly what's going on. Is that she is letting them down, right? And so their support of her ends up looking horrifying, right? Like their faith mm-hmm. that she'll work out to be someone worthwhile and somebody good and somebody talented and successful. It's just this horrible reminder of how she's none of that. Yeah. Right. That she's actually just this gross disappointment, who is, you know. A, seems to be a bit of a drinker and can't hold a relationship together, can't get a job, right? Like, and yeah. here, here are these people reminding you of what they thought you could be and you aren't. And it's like, yeah, so this this movie is super depressing. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to talk more about Naomi Watts' performance. I, I think that you walk out of this movie having very intimate and complex knowledge of this character. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like she's played five different characters almost. Yeah, right. And and But they all make sense together, right? Yeah. And they all add up to this in, incredibly complex psychology yeah. for Diane Selwyn. And it wouldn't function in the hands of a lesser actor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you just need the... that you need Naomi Watts to be switching modes all the time, and you need her to be able to portray what she is projecting herself to look like and also the exaggerated version of what she's projecting herself to look like and it it's so complex and so nuanced like i, I love it yeah there there's just so many like layers indeed to, to the movie yeah. <laughs> that it's like hard to it's it's impenetrable just in that way yeah there's like so much going on right but i think that you can pick out like the like, once you get the basic legend of it, right, like, you get the, the guidepost that is the last 20 minutes, like, you can kind of point to the confusing scenes and make some kind of sense out of them, like, m- most of the time, right? Yeah. Like, even the ones that are really, like, like the assassination scene in the, in the office, right? Like, when you contextualize it with her guilt, that scene makes perfect sense, right? Because what would... What would the Naomi Watts character want to happen in her fantasy with that assassinate, right? You'd want him to be a totally inept boob who can't do anything right, who fucks up the job and, like, kills the wrong person. You want him to not do it. You want him to make a mistake. That's her fantasy. And so, of course, in the dream, it's like, oh, look, here's this Coen Brothers-esque nonsense. (laughs) I didn't expect there to be that amount of humor there. Right, right. Yeah, he really shows... Lynch definitely shows his range in this oh, movie. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. like, even just like stupid crap, like the like creature behind the the right the dumpster. The dumpster the is dumpster like monster. the dread that he builds like up to that moment <laughs> is yeah. like incredible. Right. And then he like turns around, has this like ridiculous Coen Brothers esque yeah right like assassination assassination scene, and then he he like. Essentially shoots a soap opera for like an hour, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, and then it descends into this like madness of like underground yeah. theater and yeah, metaphor and 
Yeah. Right. And it all it, fits with each other, right? Yeah. Like, that's the extraordinary thing is that he's not just, here's a weird thing. And here's this totally other different kind of weird thing. That's yeah. also really I feel weird. like I needed two watches to figure out the reality portion of yeah. the movie the last 20 minutes. Cause like, yeah, you can watch it like 10 times. I mean, yeah. because the weirdness of what had been happening up to that point, I You're so felt like I just lost all trust in what was going on in the yeah. movie in a way. Yeah. But like watching it back and piece together that a lot of it is her flashing back. Yep. Uh, like the important key is like noticing what's on her coffee table. Yep. So you know what yeah. point in time the current quote unquote reality yep. is. When is the key there? When is the, the ashtray key, there? The ashtray, the coffee cup. Yep. Because uh, there's that scene where she jumps over the couch and yeah. they're like naked and all mm -hmm. that, right? But she's got like a different glass and the yeah. ashtray's still there. Yeah. So you know it's before she had this rebound relationship yeah. with the girl next door or whoever that was. Um, so yeah, like you can do it. Like you can piece all these scenes together. You can like all the a lot of the characters that appear during the dream sequence make some kind of appearance in the last twenty minutes, and you can see like how they're actually related to her psyche and like why they're appearing the way they are in the dream. Um, Wait, what was this about a rebound relationship? Because I thought girl, that was, it was still Camilla. It, the there was the girl. Yeah, the, Camilla's the real relationship. The rebound is the girl when they knock on the door in the dream. The girl in apartment twelve. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Like that. She, she clearly had. Diane someone in reality had some kind of relationship. You could with also her. interpret that character to be Rita, though. Maybe, but I mean, yeah. it's not Camilla, right? Like that's obvious, right? Because it's a different person. I thought it was a memory of when they were still in the relationship. Because clearly, clearly something had happened, and then she was like, "Yeah, I interpreted Nemi Watts and Rita to be the like Diane and <laughs> the neighbor." Oh, really? Wait, yeah. What? Cause, oh no, I, I did not. Because for me, that okay. so they're like the idealized versions of those later characters. No, I I I I read it as actually three different people, hmm. right? That that she actually because it makes sense, right? So she meets Diane Selwyn, goes on this audition. She meets Camilla Rhodes. They have a fling. Diane is taking it a lot more seriously than Camilla than Camilla is, right? She breaks it off because she's a famous actress and she's going to marry this rich director and she has all sorts of other girls to pal around with. She feels like it and Diane's getting way too serious. So she, she breaks it off. Diane has a rebound relationship with her neighbor. It doesn't go well because she's actually just trying to get over Camilla. And when we enter, we see the end of that relationship, right? Like we see her picking up, sense. we see her picking up her stuff from the apartment that she left there. Oh, right. That's so, not how I read it this time around. No? Okay. So I read it as. <clears throat> the so the, there's four women in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And each one, like one is a blonde, one is a brunette. So I read it as like the beginning of the movie is around Naomi Watts and Rita. Who are you calling when you say Rita? Who so you're it's Betty to? and Rita. Yes. Naomi Watts is Betty. Yeah. And uh, Laura Herring. Laura Herring is Rita. Yes. Right. Okay. The Countess Laura Herring. Yeah. <laughs> she is a countess. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> She was oh. married to a count. <laughs> <laughs> she she uh, maintains the title, though, I read on Wikipedia. Really? Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. And she has done not that much after this. It's like a lot of... Like, she, she's still acting. Though, right, she's still acting. Within the last, like, two years. Yeah. Right, but it's just... It's not, like, big productions. There's a lot of, like, recurring roles on TV and stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're trying to piece together... Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... All right. So you have those two characters. They, they have this thing through the first hour and a half of the movie right. hour, hour of the movie then Rita disappears and is replaced. leaving Naomi Watts right 
Well, no, Naomi Watts disappears, and right, Rita right. Is that's how it happens. And the then yeah. Rita opens the box, and then they both disappear because yeah. Rita's wake, or because Diane Selwyn is waking up. <clears throat> right. So yeah. Diane wakes up, and then there's this neighbor woman who she's clearly like had a relationship with. Yes. Okay. So I, I interpreted her to be Rita, and Naomi Watts to be Diane, and. Do you think so, all iterations of Laura Herring in this movie are an idealized version of her neighbor? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, I that's think how I read it. I think she's a real person. I think that there is an actual Camilla Rhodes in the reality of this movie that is a, a physical, living, breathing individual. And I think that Naomi Watts, that Diane Selwyn is in love with her and couldn't get over the breakup and couldn't get over that she isn't as good as her. Yeah, I mean, if you interpret her neighbor as... <laughs> I, I don't think it matters. I think we've reached the same conclusion about Well, if you interpret her neighbor as the Rita, then, like, yeah. all the assassination stuff would make sense, right? Because, I mean, she clearly didn't have her neighbor assassinated. I mean, none of the movie makes sense. So well, no, it no, doesn't, no, that's my point. It does. Yeah. Like, this movie, it, it, it totally all fits together. Like, this, this movie makes sense. Like, I think it is a coherent film. In the Lynchian sense of coherence, yes. Well, I mean, in the thematic <laughs> sense, and it, even in the narrative <laughs> sense. Like, you can... You can put it together and and have something, say something solid about it that is supported by the text, on on many levels. Like I, okay, that's fine. <laughs> like it's fine. Like I don't think I'm like losing anything by like having a different interpretation. No, I, I, and, and that's I don't want to take it away like, from you. Right. The I, value that can be pulled out of the film, I think. No, you're is fine. No, and, I, I, and again, I, it doesn't matter. Like. David Lynch won't say what it means. <laughs> it, like it doesn't. You could say it means nothing, and that 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 is correct. Yeah. No, I I I disagree that that's correct. Yeah. I think that your read is fair, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that you can find textual evidence to support it. Sure. For, for me, this the reason that I support that interpretation more is that this movie is about like the idealized experience of first when you first arrive in Los Angeles. Probably influenced by the fact that I've lived in Los Angeles. Yes. And then how that falls apart and how you like you later dislike Los Angeles because for the same reasons. Sure. And the parallel of having the characters be the same people before and after is important to that reading. Because it's like, here's the idealized versions of ourselves, and then later here's the reality of ourselves where we are. And I said it earlier, like not as attractive, not as interesting, not as successful. Mm-hmm. We live in crappy apartments down the road from each other. But it, um, I'm sorry, no, finish your point. And so this relationship that we have earlier in the film is like we're cool, like we're just meeting each other, like it's like a young love thing mm-hmm. where we're like on adventures and like there's right. like a spy story that we're like in, and then later it's just like a sad breakup and. And then you and, kill yourself. Yeah, and then you kill yourself and like you <laughs> you move out Jesus and Christ. divide up <laughs> stupid items like ashtrays from Shaped each other. Yeah. And so I think the the like the continuation of the characters in that way is is important to that. Regardless of the party scene, like, okay, so like you cheated on each other, right? And that's for me, that's like what that party scene is about. Is that like you have this relationship, the party scene is about like oh you broke up you see the person with like their new lover who mm-hmm. happens to be a director and is much more successful than you and then you go home and kill yourself because that's like the <laughs> correct reaction to like that experience um, uh, but there, there was it, it was worse for Diane Selwyn in that moment right like it wasn't yeah. just 
here's the new lover. It's you were the girl on the side among many others, right? Like that's yeah. why the, the kiss with the blonde is so triggering. Sure. Right. But I, I think that still fits with the narrative of like, here are the two people and then here's the reality of, of the two people. I think that's fair. Um, I think pushing that a, a different theme a little harder is what your interpretation is doing. Yeah, because I think... Sure. Which, is, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I think the jealousy is really important here, right? I think that part of the LA experience or it's part of the Diane Selwyn experience in LA is that some people have done it, right? Like the thing that she's trying to get, some people have it. Yeah. And she sees it in front of her, yeah. right? She sees Camilla Rhodes doing the thing that she wants to do well, successfully, and getting rewarded for it over and over and over again. And. But isn't it sadder if that person is also not successful and they're like slightly more successful than <laughs> you? And then, but in reality, they're not successful at all. But I, I don't think that. I'm not sure if the movie supports that. Like, I, I, I don't know if I see it on the screen. Well, if you treat yeah. the director scene, the director party scene as another dream scene, which is possible because like they're all dressed really nice no, and, I, I, and all that, it seems a little maybe out of place, but you know, it's possible. I, I think that really happened. I think okay. that I think it's well, once they open the box, once they open that the blue box and the camera falls through it, we're seeing we're seeing almost exclusively real things that that are literally happening. Yeah, I don't. I don't know because even in the real of what you're talking about, the surreal is. There's more surreal things that happen in the real that you're talking about. But like, they they happen when the tiny people like, crawl through the whatever yeah. under the door. <laughs> yeah, the party scene isn't like that though, right? Like the party scene is shot conventionally. You, you spoke to it earlier. Like the cowboy comes you can treat in. The like the, the ideally isn't real. Yeah, the idolized version of the male Hollywood. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what he is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like exists in that reality, right? Yeah. I think that. I think that what's going on. Okay. So maybe it's maybe it's not all literally true, but I think the party really happened, right? I think that the the events at the party, the main important things that are going on there, like their kiss, like the marriage announcement, like meeting the mother. I think that those are all things that Diane, someone actually experienced, that drove her to kill herself, right? I think we see some of the visual signals from the dream appearing it through her skewed perception of reality, but the major events are reality, nonetheless. Like, this movie is not entirely fantasy. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know or care. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, the distinction between reality and fantasy in this movie, I, I, like, I don't think matters. Oh, I think it's really important. I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I do. I think that it's really critical that she is that we know when she's sleeping and when she doesn't, and I think that it's. I think the movie and signals. I, that. I think it's the difference between our interpretations. Like, yeah. you are like, and I could be wrong here. My my understanding is the dream and sleep is important to the plot of of what you're describing. Yeah. To me, that doesn't matter at all. To me, it's about the waking fantasy versus reality. Of what's occurring in these yeah. events, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would, how I read it is that those first two hours, none of that's real, none of that actually occurred in the world. But so, I I think that's true. However, it's true to the character. It's her like waking fantasy of like what's happening. I, I, that like this is how this character sees themselves. This is how they see realities happen, and then later it sets in that that is not how things actually occur. And that drives that character to suicide. 
Right, but it's so much her wish fulfillment, right? Like, right, like which is how you, like... That's, how, that's what we dream about. Like, we're dreaming about <laughs> idealized worlds. Yeah, but I think that, to, to me, like, the dream element is not necessary to understanding the same conclusion. I, I think it's important that we're... that the movie draws a clear line at those last 20 minutes, right? Like, there's a very crisp marker when she is no longer, in my read, sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. Where she is actually conscious and awake and moving around in the world. And it signals it at the beginning with the, the zoom in on the pillow after the jitterbug scene, like she's literally going to bed. And then they zoom it at the end, and they they mark it at the end when the cowboy comes in and says it's time to wake up, right? Like, I, I think that the, that's really strong evidence along with the numerous lines throughout the movie where they talk about this being a dream world. And I feel like it's weird to be calling myself when it's her on the answering machine and things like that. So, yeah, so I understand that. <laughs> okay. I feel like I hear you. For, for me, like, it, it's more about, like, how people, like, perceive themselves, like, in reality. I think you can have, like, live in just as much of a fantasy world without being asleep. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I think that the movie has enough clear evidence to show it that, that it's liter- that it's a dream and she's not conscious and that after that it's it isn't. I think that it's in I think it's in the text. Sure. Yeah. How do you read it, Charles? Uh I think I prefer the interpretation where the first part is a dream and then she is experiencing or remembering reality for the last twenty minutes. Um but I'd have to really think about it a lot more and piece yep. things together. Framing it as remembering reality I think is Correct. I think that's better than how I was framing it before. Yeah. All right. So what Chris Nolan movie are we watching next week? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want to do... Um, so we've talked a lot about Jaws, and I think we should watch Jaws. I think we should watch Jaws, too. I, I think great. it's very important to a lot of films that we've already seen. Right. So we probably... <laughs> we did the same thing with Casablanca. Yeah. Right. did it backwards. But no, I think it's fine, right? Because we, oh, yeah. we see the things that are aping Jaws, and then yeah. we can see Jaws and be like, oh, this is why it's such a great... This is why people think this is good. Yeah. 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 Let's do Jaws. It's great. And it's getting warmer. Perfect summer movie. Great summer movie. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So great to make me never go to the beach ever again. Exactly right. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just when you thought the water was (laughs) right. Okay. Jaws next week. Jaws it is. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.